This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 28. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, where he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I thank you that when um, Easter Saturday night was dark, uh, I thank you that at first light, something so powerful happened that shook that tomb as King Jesus rose from the grave that life in all its fullness was released and I thank you that 2,000 years later your same spirit that breathed life into Jesus' dead body is here amongst us, is present in our hearts by faith and we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into all truth now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm. <clears throat> so um, I just want to share for a few moments um, on the resurrection of Jesus. And my title is very simply Resurrection. And uh, on this Easter day, um, I guess we've got to imagine when Jesus had risen from the dead and he showed himself to the disciples, uh, he showed himself to them in a locked room. So even as we currently are experiencing lockdown, I thank you 
Jesus, that by your spirit, you can come and be present to us and you can show us the the marvelous way that you overcame death itself. And I pray that that would be so through the words that I'm going to share. Uh, And what I want to do is um, share about the resurrection, how crucially significant this is for us. And I want to bring out some of the meaning of it. And really where I'm going is I I want to pray that God will release the power of the resurrection to each and every one of us uh, today. Um, And I want to to draw from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, um, you can either find a Bible, turn towards the end, um, a few books after the Gospels, and you'll find 1 Corinthians, which was a letter written to a church in Corinth, uh, back in the day, um, you, if you don't have access to a Bible, do search. A great website is biblegateway.com. You can find a bunch of different translations and follow along with this. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians was written uh, within about 20 years of Jesus uh, not only rising from the grave, but also ascending into heaven. And there were people Uh, who were present, who saw Jesus when he'd been resurrected, who were still alive when this letter to the Corinthian church came into circulation. Uh, 1 Corinthians is one of the first New Testament scriptures to come into existence. Um, And so, you know, this is one of the earliest uh, records or writings of what happened Uh, And right at the end of this letter, it focuses particularly on the resurrection. Uh, I just want to pick up um, some of what it brings out for us. And the beauty of 1 Corinthians 15 is it picks up some of the questions that I think all of us have when we're thinking about the resurrection. Some of the questions I think we all ponder on, but also some of the questions that many people ask me and we probably thought about ourselves. Questions like, How can we possibly believe that a dead man came back to life? How can we possibly believe that that actually happened? Uh, Particularly when we weren't physically present 2,000 years ago, when the claim of Jesus rising from the dead was made, and which is still made today by the Christian church. Uh, The second question might be, you know, if the resurrection of Jesus did happen, then what does that mean? What does that mean for our beliefs about Jesus? But also, what does that mean for our beliefs ourselves and and the the significance or meaning of it in our own lives? Thirdly, what we're going to touch on in this passage is a massive question for every single one of us. What actually happens when we die? when the reality of what we will all experience one day, when our lives end, what do we actually believe happens next? And we're gonna pick that up in this passage. Um, And then, you know, fourthly, um, again, I think a very topical question for us as we've been plunged into, you know, COVID-19 and all of the consequences of that, that right now in April, 2020, we're living through, how do we understand the world and what's our sort of view of the way the world is going and our understanding of how God is working within the world and really the kind of conclusion to which 
the world is heading? And as a result, how do we understand our lives within that? You know, or even if we're listening to this without necessarily signing up to Christian beliefs, you know, how, how do we make sense of the world? And I just want to share that, you know, really from, from the resurrection of Jesus, just, oh my goodness, just light begins to be shed on all of these questions and on this question now. So, um, so that's what I want to jump into. Uh, before, I, before I do that, if you listen to how we kind of speak about Jesus, um, you know, in our church, you know, if you listen to some of the guys, you know, or myself as I, uh, as I speak about Jesus, one of the things we will often be doing is verifying from the Bible, from the scriptures. We'll be saying, okay, we believe this because it says this in a particular section of the Bible. And I've referred to, you know, recently why, why we do that. But I just wanted to sort of remind us, even as we turn to 1 Corinthians 15 today, why it is that we actually believe in the truth and authenticity of the Bible. And, and, and really just how powerful that is for us, um, you know, even as we're kind of in this flurry of messaging going on um, through the news, through social media, you know, and even just the world we live in, which we know has a massive diversity of religious claims, of philosophical claims, of no faith claims. Um, and, you know, I, I think time and again, you know, I've come back to the fact that if I look at all 66 books contained within this one um, unit called the Bible, which really from about the fourth century has been recognized as one complete narrative of the beginnings of creation right the way through to the story of the calling of Israel as the people of God, right the way through uh, the Old Testament kings and prophets and judges, uh, right the way through to the uh, the loss of Israel's um, land and their ability to live out uh, their uh, understanding of God as a nation, to the prophet, uh, the prophetic writings where they're looking forward to a Messiah, to the Gospels where we find Jesus, to the book of Acts which records the first church, to the writings after Jesus ascended into heaven, to the writings looking forward to the end of time. Oh my goodness, I found not only both a literary coherence that is spread out over hundreds of years, but every time I read this, I'm just hit by the presence of God in a new way. And this is something that I read, which isn't just an unbelievable um, piece of wisdom that contains all sorts of different revelations of God from, from history to poetry to worship to, um, you know, instruction and teaching. Like it contains all of those things, but it actually contains, I find when I read it, aware of the presence of God, it takes me into a, a reality of the spirit of God, which is real. And I'm just like, boom, wow, my heart just explodes again with the life and presence of God brought to me by Jesus, by his spirit. And I, and I think this is why we sort of refer constantly back to scripture is because it contains something which 
um, the scripture itself describes as being God breathed, that this is not just people trying to give their best shot to describe God, but actually this was inspired by the presence of God over hundreds and thousands of years that in the fourth century, uh, the church uh, leaders at the time sat around and said, do you know what, these 66 books we, re- we reckon represent not only the truths of God over, over thousands of years, but we reckon they contain God's very word to us. And that is to be read not only as a sort of historical book, but read in the presence of God who comes to us to illuminate the truth about Jesus here and now. So I hope that's helpful. Um, And even as we turn to 1 Corinthians 15, um, let's read this, not just kind of almost like proving or evidencing what we believe about Jesus, but also just to illuminate our hearts about the reality of who this Jesus of Nazareth really was as a second person of the Trinity who came and lived a, a, a real human life, was brutally killed on Good Friday. But oh my goodness, as we heard right at the top of this service, on the third day, he rose from the grave. So let's get into it. And what I'm going to do, um, have 1 Corinthians 15 uh, open. I'm going to try and answer some of the questions I referred to earlier as we go through, you know, verse by verse from verse 12 right the way through to about verse 27, I'm going to try and weave in some of the, the ways that this passage responds to some of the questions that I was raising at the start uh, and hopefully just smashes all of us with the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus. That's the plan. Are you ready? Boom, let's go. So here we go. Um, verse, uh, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection from the dead. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. What's going on? Now, in the context that the Apostle Paul, one of the key leaders of the first church, uh, was writing, there were some from from a Jewish background who didn't believe that there was any afterlife. They believed you live this life as best you can, And then when you die, boom, that's the end. And so, you know, Paul is picking this up because they were even trying to persuade people and proclaim this, even though they'd heard about Jesus afterwards, they were still trying to say, guys, there's no resurrection from the dead. There's no afterlife. There's no coming back from what happens to all of us when our mortal lives end. Now, their kind of worldview is a bit different to ours, but... Listen, there are some connections to be made with how many people can think in 21st century British society today. Because how many of us, you know, bump into people or even think to ourselves, listen, you know, how many of us hear this? Well, you know, you've got to live this life as best you can because that's all you've got. And then we just, you know, that's your one chance and then it all ends. You know, many in this day and age may have a belief somehow in an afterlife and you may hear stuff about, you know, you know, angels and and all of that. But there are many who will say, listen, this life is all there is and then that's it. And so I think there's some resonance for 21st century society 
even though our questions are slightly different, but we're still coming at the same angle, is there a resurrection? Is there life after we die? And so Paul is trying to address this in this passage. And he basically says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then that must mean that Jesus Christ himself has not been raised. Verse 14, and what that means, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, our proclamation has been in vain. And our faith and your faith has also been in vain. What does in vain mean? It basically means pointless. It means all of our preaching to you, all of our proclamation about Jesus Christ and about God and what he's done has basically been completely pointless. He goes on, verse 15, it gets worse worse than that. It says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead aren't raised. What he's basically saying is, it's worse than it being pointless. It's actually that we have been misrepresenting, we've been lying to you about all of these things that we've been sharing if Jesus hasn't been raised. For if, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Jesus Christ has not been raised. And verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is utterly futile and you are still in your sins. Let me, let me just pause for a minute. Just to say, Paul is basically saying, number one, if there's no afterlife, if there's no resurrection, then it means Jesus cannot have risen from the dead. What that means is everything we've been teaching you is utterly pointless. What it also means is we've been lying to you. And what it also means is that your faith is completely pointless. <laughs> Paul's basically saying, if we don't believe in the resurrection, then the whole rest of it is utterly pointless. It's pretty powerful stuff here. And, you know, we may agree with some of that. If you're listening to this today thinking, yeah, man, I'm not sure I believe in the resurrection. Well, you can say with the people who Paul is uh, in dialogue with, you can say, yeah, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, it is completely pointless. (laughs) And Paul goes on, verse 18. Then those also who died in Christ have perished. Verse 19. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, We of all people are the most to be pitied. Paul sketches out the implications. It means that even those who at great cost to their lives, in great danger, put their faith in Jesus and now they've died, then that simply means that they've just perished. They've just gone into the ground and that's the end if there's no resurrection. And it also means that all of us who have expended all this energy, all this faith, all these beliefs, all these, all these kind of, um, all this way that we have given our lives to proclaim Jesus, it means that we're still in our sins and it means that it's been completely pointless. How are we still in our sins? What Paul's saying is, If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you cannot believe 
in the power of the cross. And what's quite interesting in Western kind of culture, how Christianity is being portrayed, particularly in the Western world, is how? The key symbol has really been a cross, hasn't it? People wear it around their necks on chains. You put it at the front in church. It's been a cross. I guess because actually it's quite hard to get something nice looking on a gold chain which represents an empty tomb. <laughs> Just be a round blob or something, you know. Um, but really the symbol in Western Christianity that represents Christian faith has been a cross. But really Paul's saying here, man, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then actually the belief in the cross becomes utterly nullified and is pointless. This is powerful stuff here. Why is that? Because the power of the cross it is really about Jesus fulfilling all of the ways that we could gain equilibrium, we could come into right relationship with God again. But that is only powerful if that sacrifice was not only made by someone who was without blemish and without sin, which we looked at on Good Friday, Jesus Christ himself, but also someone who could not only make a sacrifice, but be representative of every human being by dealing with all the bad stuff and then rising into new life. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, if actually it's all completely pointless, then what that means is that it literally was just a good guy, an amazing guy who never sinned, just making another sacrifice for all of us. But it doesn't launch new life for anybody. Does this make sense? I hope it does. You can't tell me if it makes sense or not. I'm going to assume that in your households you're saying, yes, this does make sense. It makes sense to me and it blows my mind. But anyway, let me back up a little bit because I think we need to just verify the basis on which we believe that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. Let's look now at verse 20. Paul basically said, yeah, I, I agree with you. If it didn't happen, you're right. It's completely pointless. But now let me, boom, drop the mic and just show you how this is both reasonable, historical and life-changing. So verse 20, here we go. You ready? Let's read along. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have died. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, he is the first fruits of those who died. Let's just focus on the first fruits for a minute and what, what does that mean? First fruits basically means it's a, it's a harvest analogy, which because, you know, here we are in West Sussex, we're country people, we know what this is about. And basically, first fruits are you, you, just before you harvest, you take a little sample and you gather it in and it could be wine, it could be grain, and you make some bread or you, you know, make some wine and you gather the, gather the family, gather the household and you taste of the first fruits, the first example of what the harvest is going to be. And you taste it and then you know, actually, wow, when we've gathered in the totality of this harvest, 
It's going to taste like this. And you can assess, is it going to be good? Is it going to be mediocre? Or is it going to be awesome? Or is it going to be terrible? Sorry, <laughs> I've already said good. Um, that's what First Fruits is about. And Paul is basically saying, if Christ is raised from the dead, he is the first indication of what's going to come through the later harvest. He is the first sample. He's the first token. He is the first fruits of the, the harvest that is going to come. And what that means in terms of the resurrection is if Jesus was raised from the dead, it means that that means we, if we put our faith in him and believe in this, it means what happened to him is representative of what's going to happen for everybody else who's included and incorporated in the harvest that is, is being grown. Okay, but the start of verse 20 said, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, how can we believe in the resurrection? I mean, you know, as we read at the start of this service, you know, Mary met Jesus in the garden where the tomb was and she held on to him and she clung to him. And when Jesus said, Mary, suddenly her eyes were open and she realised that same voice that she'd known before he was crucified. That same voice, wow, is now speaking to her, now resurrected. Man, it must be easy for Mary, isn't it? And what about the disciples who Jesus then appeared to? What about, what about Thomas? Do you remember? He was allowed to put his hand in Jesus' side and still touch you know, the, the marks where Jesus was pierced with the spear on the cross and touched the nail marks in his wrists and on his feet. It must be easy for Thomas, mustn't it? But look, we weren't there. We weren't there. But many, many people weren't there either. Either, But if you look back earlier in chapter 15, what we find, if you look up the passage to verse 5, look at this. We find that, um, verse 4 actually, we find that Jesus was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. <laughs> this was prophesied and promised through the Old Testament scriptures. And verse 5, and that Jesus appeared to Cephas, which is the name for Peter, the leader of the first church, the sort of most, um, you know, bullish and <laughs> the, the one where I find a lot of comfort in, in the 12 uh, disciples. He appeared to, to Peter, then he appeared to the 12, meaning the 12 disciples. Verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. At one time, he appeared to 500 of them at one time. Can you imagine a gathering of 500? Oh my goodness, there's going to be some fun gatherings of 500 people. It's like, Get to church when we gather, when this lockdown ends, it's going to be full of joy and the most glorious return from exile. You know, there's going to be tons of us and we're going to celebrate and we're going to give thanks, we're going to rejoice, we're going to love God and love each other. But can you imagine 500 people suddenly seeing Jesus all at once, just going crazy, just wanting to touch the nail marks in his hands, wanting to rejoice, wanting to go, oh my goodness, we thought all our hopes were lost and now you're alive. This means that everything you said is true. It means that it is on, game on, that you are launching this wonderful kingdom of heaven in such power and force that it's never going to end because even death couldn't defeat you. 
Oh my goodness, what joy. But check it out. Check it out. Um, he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Check this out in verse 6. Most of whom are still alive, even though some have died. Most of whom are still alive. Now check this out. 1 Corinthians was one of the first New Testament manuscripts to be written. If this was fake news, if it was propaganda, if it was trying to verify that this didn't happen, then people who were examining and exploring the authenticity of this account could have found some of those 500 people and said, hang on a minute, you were in that throng of 500 people. Did you see him? <laughs> and I, I think they would probably have said, yeah. They would have said, yeah, we saw him, we touched him, we heard from him, we ate with him, we rejoiced with him. And if it was untrue, if 1 Corinthians 15 was fake news, if it was propaganda, then they could easily have found some of the people that he named and said, is this true? Is it really true? And they would have said, no. <laughs> no, it, it's just a theory promoted by you know, people wanting to develop some kind of faith and religion. So we, we can trust the authentic eyewitness account of so many people who saw Jesus and recorded this for us. And more than that, we can trust. I'll tell you what, you know, there was a time where I wasn't a Christian whatsoever. But when I heard the gospel and the eyes of my heart were opened, I was like, man, I saw Jesus for myself. Spiritually, not physically, but I saw him for myself. And it, it was like a penny dropping in my heart. I just knew this was true. And he just revealed himself to me. And he filled my life with his presence. So I can tell you, this is not me trying to promote a belief so that we can exert power over other people. You know, you follow whatever <laughs> you want to follow. But let me tell you, there's nothing that makes more sense. I found. And there's nothing that has brought more joy and clarity and freedom and truth than believing in Jesus Christ. If in fact Christ has been raised, I'm telling you, the facts are he rose on the third day, he showed himself to so many, it's been recorded in scripture, and from that day forward for 2,000 years, hundreds of thousands of millions of people have also found this to be the most reasonable explanation for the disappearance of the body of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus Christ now resurrected to so many people, so much so that they put all of their beliefs and their trust in him. Let's read on. Verse 21. I'm going to have a little sip. Verse 21. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. Verse 22, for as all die in Adam, referring back to Genesis, the sort of prototype of human beings, the first person, so all will be made alive in Christ. What's going on here? What we find again is this use of uh, types or prototypes of representative people who did key things that affect us all and this this happens still in our lives now you know if Boris even though he's elected if Boris makes a decision you know 
We might disagree with it. You know, if 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 Boris and his government make a law in the land, we might disagree with it, we might dislike it, we might despise it, but if we don't do it, there's a consequence for every person if we don't follow it. We'll be arrested and put in prison because he is our representative person doing things on our behalf that affects our lives. It's the same, this is how Paul is talking, same about Adam. He is representative, he really existed, but he is representative for all of us. When he turned away from God, just like I do, just like you do, when he turned away from God, the the implications were that sin entered the world and it affects all of us. It means that our hearts don't naturally turn to and yearn for the living God. But God sent another representative, his own son, Jesus, who becomes representative for all as what Paul referred to in another of his letters, a second Adam, a better Adam, who did what we couldn't do, made a sacrifice we couldn't do, rose from the grave like we haven't done yet. And what that means is that he trumps Adam's folly. He trumps the power of sin in our lives. He overcomes those things and is representative for us, doing something for us we couldn't do, which when we put our trust in him, that becomes real and active and representative in our lives. So, what does that mean for the resurrection? All of us died in Adam. We fell away from God and experienced spiritual death. So all will be made alive in Jesus, in Christ. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, that then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Well, I've already referred to the firstfruits um, already. It basically means Christ our representative He is indicative. He shows what will happen to the rest of us. But what is going to happen? And this is a massive question. Like what happens to us when we die? You know, quite often when when people are, um, you know, talking to me, particularly those who who wouldn't say they have Christian faith, you know, they'll often say, like, none of us knows what happens when we die. How come, you know, you think that you know you know, what happens because you haven't died yet. So how can you tell me, you know, what happens when we die? And I say, that's a really good point. I haven't died yet and you haven't died yet. So how can any of us know? Well, we do know one person who's died and who's been through the experience of death and has overcome death and has been resurrected and now comes to show us exactly what happens. And that is brought to us by Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he really did die on the cross. And he really was raised again on the third day. And so he shows us he is the first fruits of what happens. And so um, we can fully be confident that someone who has overcome the power of death and has risen from the grave has really died and has really come back to life and been resurrected. He can really teach us what happens about life after death. And what happened to Jesus is he rose again 
He didn't have his old physical body pre-death. He had a new resurrected body. We know that because it still bore resemblance. He, he still had the scars which were inflicted on him during his crucifixion. But somehow his resurrected body was even more real than the walls that he passed through. Than the uh, appearances that he could make just seemingly arriving in a certain place in a certain time. He was more real than the physical creation because he now had a body which would never ever perish. It was an eternal body, but it was still physical, but it was clothed now with resurrected flesh. Flesh which had died, but had been brought back to life to never die again. That's what's gonna happen to you and I. We're gonna die. And then we, if we've put our trust in Jesus, are going to be resurrected physically, but now with bodies which are even more real than the flesh that I've got now. Now clothed with resurrected flesh. What Paul will say later in chapter 15, incorruptible flesh, flesh that will live forever and ever and ever. That's what's going to happen to us, just like Jesus. And we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. But a key question is when? Key question is when? And we find some clues here. Uh, it says, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So what does that mean? Well, we know that Christ is going to return to the earth one day. And at that moment, we'll look at this in a minute, there will be a new earth established and a new heaven made and then all of, all of the earth as we know it and all of heaven as it is now will be swept away and there'll be a brand new earth and a brand new heaven forged and that, a bit like our resurrected bodies, will never, ever, ever die or fade away or be replaced ever again. That will be the final remaking, restoring of a new heaven and a new earth. And when Jesus appears and does that, at the end of history as we know it, what's going to happen is that those who belong to Christ will appear with him. So what that essentially means, that those who've died, who've died trusting in Jesus Christ, will be resurrected at that moment and come with Christ to those who are living and in the moment where Christ returns. And Christ could return now, in the next moment. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. No one knows when. It could be in a thousand years, five thousand years. It could be in, a, who knows? Who knows when Christ will return? But when he does, he will bring all those who died, trusting in Jesus. And they will appear with him to be present and be resurrected and to live forever with him in the new heaven and the new earth. So what happens when we die? Well, Catholics would say, when we die, there's a period of waiting, a bit like purgatory. There's no actual evidence of that in the scriptures, not that I'm, please don't hear me bashing the Catholics, you know, I have the utmost admiration for them. But what does scripture tell us? Well, it doesn't really tell us a great deal about what the state is of those who, as Paul would say, fallen asleep, from, you know, so if you've lost a loved one, or if you were to die tomorrow, it doesn't tell us a great deal about what happens. 
are you kept in a sort of state of kind of blissful unawareness until Jesus returns and raises you then and brings you? Doesn't really tell us that. Does, does when we die, do we kind of just sort of fall asleep and then suddenly at the moment where history ends and Jesus returns, we're awoken and that is like an instance and we have no sort of record of whether that is five years or five minutes or 5,000 years. We just suddenly fall asleep and then suddenly we're awoken and Jesus is returning. We just don't know. What we do know is the resurrection happens when Jesus returns. And, uh, you know, this is brought to us uh, again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where there's a, there's a few more clues there. Just when Jesus appears, those who died already will be caught up with him, resurrected with him, and then will return to the earth. And the final judgment will, will be enacted. And then Jesus will finally make the new heavens and the new earth. So th- there's some... There's some really exciting things, even as um, in this moment of time, uh, it, you know, right now in April 2020, when our mortality is being very vividly brought back to each and every one of us as we face this global pandemic, we can be confident as we place our trust in Jesus about what happens to us when we die. And about the afterlife, about the resurrection, we can, we can be confident and be full of hope and joy. Because what happened to Jesus, the first fruits, indicates what happens to the rest of us, the later harvest. And my goodness, we're going to be resurrected. We're going to live with him forever. And let's find out what that's going to be a bit like. Verse 24. Hope everyone's tracking with this. Verse 24. Then when Jesus appears and he brings those who've died and those who have died in Christ, who belong to him, are resurrected, what's going to happen? Then comes the end, as I've just been referring to, when he hands the kingdom over to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, I talked at the beginning about one of the questions we may have in this time of, like, what's our understanding of the world and how history is playing out? You know, and I I do think sometimes we we don't pay enough attention to this in our society and in our culture because I think we become so tuned to, to the instantaneous and to the immediate satisfaction or or living in the moment, living in the present, we don't think about, like, what is life about? You know, and I think what we find in the Bible is this glorious narrative, which I think makes so much sense of the world as we find it. And the narrative is simply this, that in the beginning, the world was perfect. When God made the world, human beings were with God, and there was nothing wrong with it. No disease, no pandemics, no broken relationships, no financial hardship, no lack of provision. It was perfect. But when human beings turned away from God, sin entered the world and it had an effect on everything. And what it meant is the world just didn't work as it should. It just didn't work as it should. And suddenly there was disease in the world. 
there was hardship in relationships. Suddenly work becomes toilsome and burdensome. Suddenly there's, there's, there's difficulty and toil. Um, and the world, uh, you know, as I've said previously, can be gloriously amazing and spectacular, but also cruel and devastating at times. And what happened, even as, as God looked at the world as in, in his love, in his grace, he wanted to restore it and he wanted to remake it and he wanted to bring it back. But God never controls the planet. He never controls our lives. Because if he controlled us, then we wouldn't truly be alive and we wouldn't truly be able to have the capacity to choose and to be free and to choose whether we honour and worship him or whether we just... Um, are robots at the end of a big remote control that God's in charge of. And so God sent Jesus, the Son of Man, who made the most wonderful ransom for all of the stuff that has twisted up human life and human experience since the beginning of time and for all of time. And when Jesus rose on the third day, what he was doing was launching this new humanity um, we've heard about how he's the first fruits here. In, in Colossians, Paul writes another letter and he talks about Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, launching a new project, a new family, launching a new humanity to the whole human race. And what that really means for, um, for you and I is what happens is that the realm of heaven what Jesus taught about in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, is the kingdom of heaven was brought to us through Jesus, firstly in his teaching, but it's brought to us and launched on Resurrection Day. And what that means is that the, the place where God is, where King Jesus, who reigns without restraint and reigns perfectly, is a place where there's no pain, no crying, no disease, no cancer, no financial lack. None of that stuff is there. And that new creation is launched out of the tomb on resurrection day through Jesus. And we can enter that by becoming part of the first fruits, part of the harvest, part of the family, part of becoming reborn into this kingdom as we put our whole trust in Jesus Christ. My question on Resurrection Day is, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, today's the day, my friend. You've got to give your life to him today. But what that means is when you give your life to him, you're not just declaring Jesus by your beliefs. What happens to you when you believe in Jesus is that you are reborn into the reality of the kingdom of heaven, where there is no mourning, no crying, no cancer, no coronavirus, no lack, no broken relationships. You are brought into that reality. Now listen, your power to choose doesn't change at that stage. You can jump out of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom of heaven and just continue living life as you were, and try doing it that way <laughs> it's just way not as good as it is his way but if you continue following Jesus with life laid down 
then you get to taste and see that the Lord is good. You get to sense and experience his joy, which is unspeakable. You get to realize that actually, even in trials, you can find joy in that moment because he lifts you out of the toil and trauma of this world into the joy and reality, the peace of his kingdom, which we taste spiritually now and which we will enter physically on resurrection day at the end of time when Jesus returns. Boom, it's so good. And what's going to happen on resurrection day when Jesus returns and we all rise from the grave and, you know, whatever state of bliss we've been in, whether it's a moment or whatever, I don't know, who knows, I don't know that bit. But when we all rise and resurrection life comes into my body, which has been in the grave or has been cremated, whatever it is, I don't care. But when that moment happens and we rise with Jesus, do you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. Now let's back up a minute. What does that mean? Does it mean he's going to destroy the queen? Does it mean he's going to destroy Boris? No, of course it's not. He's referring to every spiritual power, every opposing force, the power of sin, the power of death, and the personification of evil, which is active and at work in our world. Jesus is basically saying, on this day, no longer will you be able to exist, and he will destroy evil, sin, and death, finally, once for all, so that when he remakes the earth, when he remakes the heavens, no longer will they ever, ever, ever tinge, quench, afflict human existence from that moment on forevermore. He will destroy every spiritual ruler, every opposing authority to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ forevermore. That's what's going to happen. Verse 26 or verse 25, and he will reign until he's put every enemy under his feet. The picture there is Jesus reigning and every power has been crushed and conquered under the feet of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you know, sometimes we don't like images of crushing and Jesus ruling and reigning just because we're in 21st century Western society and we're a bit more, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we don't like that stuff in our culture. But let me tell you this for a moment. There is nothing more freeing, nothing more joyful, nothing more blissful, nothing more full of life than being under the reign of Jesus. So here's the irony. When you give over control of your life to recognize the authority of Jesus, then what you get in return is the life of Jesus pouring into your life. You give up life on your own terms, but you find real life everlasting life life that is is just so awesome and is so abundant and real and endless and full of joy so don't do it for your benefit of that life but i'm just telling you that's what happens and it's amazing verse 20 uh, verse 26 and the final enemy to be destroyed is death itself there'll be no more death no longer will anyone die. It, when Jesus returns on, on the final resurrection day where we all rise with him, the last enemy is death. And that's just going to be, death is going to have its butt kicked 
forever. It's going to be destroyed. There will be no more death after that day, forever and ever and ever. For God, verse 27, has put all things in subjection under his feet. And then we go into this um, kind of uh, strange little um, discussion. They were a bit concerned because they were thinking, well, does that mean God is subject to Jesus? And if God has put all things in subjection to Jesus, does that mean God is in subjection? And that's because they were still trying to sort out their beliefs about the Trinity. Because they couldn't still quite grapple with the fact that God the Father, first person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, and God the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, were still one. And so Paul just sketches it out and he says, basically, uh, it's plain that this does not include the one who puts all things in subjection under him, verse 28, when all things are subjected to Jesus, all things put under his feet, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who puts all things in subjection under him so that God may be all in all. What does that mean? Imagine the Trinity for a minute. You know, and I think because we've we've been corrupted by worldly thinking about authority so often from our, our worldly experience, we, we miss how humbly uh, self-giving each member of the Trinity is. You know, God the Father says, listen, the whole of creation is going to lift up one name. And do you know what that name is? The name of Jesus. So God the Father's like, let him take all the credit. Let him take all the glory. And the Son's saying, no, you know, they might be saying the name of Jesus, but I'm going to bring all things in subjection to you, Father. And it's all going to be about you. And it's all going to be returned back to you. And the Holy Spirit's just moving between them, saying, I glorify, I exist to glorify Jesus. And uh, Jesus saying, well, I exist to glorify the Father. So the Spirit goes over to the Father and the Father's like, but, but I love the Son and I want Him to be lifted up by the whole of creation. It's just got this endless lifting up of one another. It's glorious, isn't it? And that's our model, not only for authority, it's our model for love. Do you remember, do you remember how relationships and even think in our homes, how relationships are meant to be lived out? In Colossians, it tells us, before we get into the wives and husbands bit, it says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Just like he does, and just like the Trinity does, submit yourself to one another. So let's, let's constantly live in our household saying, how can I outdo the people I'm living with to just say, no, you go first. No, you get the credit. No, you be lifted up. That's what relationships are meant to look like because they look like the one who made all relationships. The one who in himself is relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit existing in beautiful love. But we digress. <laughs> we digress. So I just want to sort of uh, almost finish this off by, by again just trying to sharpen how we think about the world that we live in. You know, and probably the best analogy I can think of is that on Resurrection Day, a victory was launched. The first fruits of this victory were launched in Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. And it was a bit like the 6th of May, 1945, when Churchill read out a statement and he said, I'm letting you know on the 6th of May, 1945, that victory in Europe has been established. A victory has been won. And on the 7th of May, 
they were beginning to enforce that victory. They were beginning to display that victory. They were beginning to live that victory out all across the, the world. But some people hadn't heard about that victory. And uh, there were a few battles that were still fought, you know, between the 6th of May and the final pocket of resistance to the victory of the Allies at the end of World War II. Do you know the final battle to be fought was on um, an island off the Norwegian coast where there was a small pocket of German resistance holed up uh, in, a, in a kind of, um, uh, they were sort of, sort of sentries on this island off the Norwegian coast and, and they just hadn't heard um, the word hadn't got through, and so uh, unfortunately they decided to go down in a blaze of glory and took out some of the Allied troops on the 4th of September 1945. You know, what's that? Five or six months after victory had been declared. Now can you imagine how horrible that must have been for the families of those soldiers who were killed by that pocket of German resistance on the 4th of September 1945? Victory had been won. And yet, the message of the victory hadn't quite got, gotten through to the final pocket of resistance on this small island off the coast of Norway. And, and whilst that would have been devastating for the Allied families, and perhaps for the German families who received the bodies of their lost ones back in that moment, I want to give this as a picture for the world that we live in. You know, Jesus has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of all creation. Of all of us who trust in him, he's been raised from the dead. And there's been a victory that's been won. There is no contest now whether the kingdom is going to be fully established on the earth. But not every part of the, of the world as we know it has heard about this victory. There are some pockets of resistance and sometimes they can feel very ferocious and very fierce. There's pockets of resistance of disease. There's pockets of resistance of evil and demonic attack. There's, there's, there's mindsets and systems which are ungodly and very corrosive on human life as we know it who haven't heard the freedom and the life of Jesus. And so what happens on, resurrect, on, on, on this day when we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, for all those who put our trust in him, we realise that we are sent out to declare the victory of Jesus to every corner of the earth and to enforce it with love, with mercy, with kindness and with power so that every corner of the earth can hear that victory has actually been won. And there may be trial in this life, but it's temporary. And there may be disease in life, but we heal it. And there may be a lack, but we provide for it. And there may be sorrow, but we go alongside and we mourn until you receive the Comforter, who's the Holy Spirit, and you're brought again into joy. This is our mandate for those who know and believe in the faith of Jesus Christ. This is the calling on our lives to rise up in him and to proclaim to every blade of grass, every part of our household, every online interaction we have, that a victory was won 2,000 years ago. On the 6th of May 1945, a victory was, was won and Jesus will return on what the equivalent to the 5th of September 1945 
we're in that small period of time where we are to declare the victory that's been won by Jesus Christ for all of time and say, come on, receive him, receive the victorious one. And for you and I who are left here to carry on retelling the story of Jesus, the history of Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, I just want to say to you today, if you've not heard, if you've been living in a pocket of resistance in your life, then today's the day. Bow the knee of your heart. Receive your Lord, the one who was raised in the grave, who will never die again, that you might receive him as your Lord and Savior, the true King of all, and that you might, you might today know that when he returns, you're going to rise again and be found among him, and you will live forever and ever and ever. I just want to finish with this by just thinking for a moment how did the resurrection of Jesus' body actually occur? From what we know from the scriptures, how did that occur? I just want to just apply this now into all of our hearts. You know, let's remember the second person of the Trinity, God's own Son, the Son of Man, had been killed on Good Friday. And we know what happened to him. When he died, he descended to the dead and he went down to hell and he was there. He was, for the first time in his existence, separated spiritually, emotionally from the presence of his father. He was separated and he went down. He descended to the dead. So his body is in the tomb. The tomb is empty apart from his body which has been wrapped in embalming spices and oils. It's been wrapped with cloths as they would any dead person and laid in that tomb and a massive stone requiring soldiers, you know, strong soldiers to come and put it in place and then bound in place has been placed in front of the tomb. And it's been there in the hot Mediterranean world until Sunday morning, when the Father in heaven looked to the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, the one who carries the very breath of the Father and who carries the very unction, the power of God, the dynamic power of God. And the Father says, now is the time that scripture is to be fulfilled. Now's the time where I'm gonna win this world back. Now's the time where I'm gonna launch new creation, where I'm going to launch the kingdom of heaven into that world. Now's the time where I've got to get back my children. I've got to recover every human being from before, every human being on the planet now and every human being to come. Now's, now's the moment. I can't wait any longer. Now's the moment. Go. And he releases the spirit. And I, I just, I just imagine being in that tomb <laughs> You know, I wish I'd been there to see it. And, you know, I'd love, I'd love Jesus to just tell me about it when I, when I see him physically. But I just imagine, I don't know, the spirit then descending from the Father. Was it a dove? Was it fire? I don't know. Was it breath? I don't know. But I imagine suddenly it just coming into his body and his, and his cheeks becoming full of life again. And I imagine it coming with power and suddenly the robe's just being scattered at his feet. And Jesus just rising up, taking a first breath. And I imagine just golden light just streaming from him. 
So much so that the stone cannot even have just been quietly moved aside, but it was just flung aside with power because suddenly death was overcome and something stronger than death was being launched. It was life itself. And Jesus strides forth and there's angels present going on and the soldiers guarding the tomb flee away terrified. And Jesus walks forth and now he's breathing in life into his resurrected flesh, which he's probably never taken a resurrected breath before. He's taken a physical pre-resurrected breath. Now, and he breathes it in, the, the, the fresh, pure air of the day. And suddenly everything's alive. He can see creation all around him, suddenly bowing in worship before him. And suddenly he's like, Father, I'm restored to you. Father, I'm restored to you. And, and the Spirit is just connecting them even now. And, and Jesus then strides forth. Can you imagine when he caught sight of Mary in the garden? You know, what joy filled his heart. What love filled his heart. And he goes to find her. And he, let, he lets her follow the trail of discovery while she clings to him and embraces him. And he's like, Mary, let go of me. But when she hears him say, Mary, suddenly oh, her eyes are opened. Wow, it's my Lord and my God. It's my Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. Now, I'll tell you what, you know, 20 years ago, I was lost. I was nowhere. I was in a tomb in my life. Yeah, I was living. Outwardly, I looked okay. But inwardly, I was cold. I was in a tomb. I was, I was dead. I was corroding. I was wasting away. And I'll tell you what, when I prayed to Jesus Christ, when I prayed to him, it was, it was just like what happened to Jesus that day. Suddenly, bang, power hit my heart, power hit my soul, power hit my spirit. I was saved through what Jesus did. I was reborn. It was like I was just rising up from the... I didn't realize life was like a grave before, but suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, I've never known life like it is. When power hit my life, suddenly I was connected to God, not as just a real being, but as my father, as the one who's been searching for me all these years. Suddenly I could sense the spirit in me. And do you know what? You and I are even better placed than Jesus Christ was himself because we get Jesus. We don't just get Father and the Spirit. We get the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus walked towards me. I saw him and he delivered my life of sorrow, of brokenness, of anger, of pain. And he filled me with glory, filled me with love, filled me with power. And he changed me from there on ever since. And I just want to speak over you right now in the name of Jesus and release to you today on Resurrection Day. Do you know the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that the Spirit brought into his lifeless body. Do you know where that is? Boom. It's in you and in me who bow the knee of our hearts to Jesus. The same power is in us. The same powers in us. I just want to release it afresh into your life that you would find the resurrected Jesus today, that you would know him. And if you know him already, that his power would be released, that whatever is lifeless in your life, that whatever is sorrowful and broken and despairing and lost and forlorn would today be made new by the power of the resurrected one 
being poured out afresh in your life today. May you know Jesus. May you know the King of Kings. And pray with me now. <laughs> pray with me now as I just finished today. Father, I just thank you that you raised us back to life in Jesus, the first fruits of all creation, the firstborn who launched a new family. Thank you that you raised him from the dead. We can trust in this. It really happened. It really was history. We can put our beliefs and trust in this. And as we do, thank you that your spirit who raised him from the dead is here today and we just want to pray as we turn to you in our heart lord we're sorry when we ever walk apart from you forgive us i pray over any of us who never prayed to jesus let 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 faith arise now let it let them be reborn now as they turn their lives to you do you know what even when the service finishes you just fall to your feet give your life to jesus here today and let us know let me know give your life to jesus today because I tell you what, I'm jealous for the rest of your life, never to be spent apart from him. There's nothing better that you could do with your life. Don't waste the chance that we have. Don't waste the opportunity we have. Because I tell you what, I'm proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. And there's a dangerous place when we resist that. And that's not me making a power play over your life. But simply just bringing you the beauty of who he is. Receive him. Receive him in your life today. Fall on your knees and worship him as king of kings and lord of lords. Let today be the day that you receive salvation and resurrection life into your heart today. I pray in the name of Jesus. And I just pray that your life will be changed as you meet him. And for any of us who know him, come on church, let's never be apathetic. We've got a message to share. We've got a message that overcomes the fear and anxiety in this world. We've got a message of the risen one, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived like us, lived for us, and now sends us by his spirit to be his hands and his feet on the earth wherever we go. Will you proclaim him in word and deed? Will you proclaim the kingdom of heaven's begun? We're in the kingdom of heaven. It's in our hearts. Will you heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers? Will you release joy? Will you bring joy where there's sorrow? Will you bring life where there's death? Will you bring hope where there's despair? Come on, church. This is us. And may Jesus send us out by the power of his spirit to live and work to his praise and his glory. Let my words be forgotten from this message, but may you remember Jesus Christ, the risen one who rose from the grave. May he be your closest friend, your great high priest, the firstborn over all creation, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and lord of lords. May he explode in your hearts by faith, by his spirit today. <laughs> And may you be changed forevermore, as I have been. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his powerful, wonderful, beautiful face to shine upon you both this day May he fill you and your household with peace. And may he bless all those we love and pray for. May he bless this land. May he bless our nation. May he change us forevermore for his wonderful, wonderful glory. Amen. <laughs>